is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it is all that I need. I, I think I say it every week, but I hope that every time you say that, you're learning that to be true more and more, that you go to this book more and more than you used to, that you do believe this is the book of answers. It's the book that um, has everything you and I need. And so, all right, John chapter 15 tonight, John chapter 15. And uh, we have we have seen again. I I, re I always say that about red letter edition. Not that the black letters aren't just as inspired, but there's something about the mood when you watch these red letters. I remember I remember Tom saying to me um, in John 15. He says he says it's all red letters. There's not one black one in there. And but that's that's the point. You know from the end. Of when Jesus ended his, his public ministry. That kind of was his last public sermon. Then we started in, in John 13 with that washing of the feet. And, and again, Jesus is trying to teach those disciples. Um, he's got to kind of humble them to the point of, you know, they're cocky as far as they want to know who's the greatest. And so he's going to try to say to them, when I send you out, you need to be willing to do whatever it takes. You need to know that that service is sometimes in the lowliest of positions. You know, so now you're hearing him give instructions to these 11. And, he, and as intimate as he, are with, as he is with these 11, um, he is intimate with us. He wants us to know these um, specific instructions. These are kind of like his last words, and they're so important on how to live. So, um, and then we talked about how John uh, was so affected by that last week of Jesus. And there's, it's so obvious that the all the experiences and how Jesus handled um, all of the experiences. And he is just so, he discovered what, what Jesus came to do for him. He, he sensed that love. And when, you, when it becomes personal, it, it does. I mean, I think we can see that. Why is John's gospel so... Why is that the first thing you tell people when they become a Christian? Read the Gospel of John. Why do we just love the Gospel of John? It's because you can just sense John gets the love of Jesus in his own life. And so um, last week, you know, the disciples were so troubled. They're so troubled because they know Jesus is leaving them. And I can't blame him. I mean, you've, you've lived with somebody and watched his miracles and heard his teachings. And, you know, how am I going to do it without him? You know, that's a, that's a good question. I'm sure that Jesus understood that. But they were getting themselves into such a panic. And, and so he said, come on, don't, don't get so troubled. You know, we, we get so troubled about life and what's happening. Get so worked up. And he said, you've got to learn how to trust me. I know what I'm doing. And it's all for your good. It's for the best. You've got to get to know me well enough that you can surrender your life to me and know that, that I will never lead you down the wrong path. You've just got to be in tune. And I'll help you by, even though I'm leaving, I'm going to do something. My Father will send you the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Counselor, the Spirit of Truth. And so you will have, and that's why we saw the Trinity so much last week. You, you watch the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit work together for us. And so when he said, when you, when you allow the spirit to work instead of trouble, that's why he said at the end of 50, in the end of 14 last week, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. You, you see all three persons right there. And he will teach you all things. So in other words, like I prayed, he will keep teaching you new things. 
but then you also keep reminding you of everything that you've already learned. And when you take heed of that, when you are listening, when you want to hear his, his way, his, his purpose, his direction, when you want that, he said, peace, I live with you. You will have a life of peace, not the kind of peace that this world gives. Because this world, you know, the worldly peace is pretty much when everybody gets what they want. That's when everybody lives in peace, when you have everything that you want. Can you imagine the chaos of this world if everybody was living as they wanted? You know, so we know that that's a farce. It's not true. The peace on this earth is, is wishful thinking. It will never happen because it can't. Real peace only comes when you know the Prince of Peace. And so he says, peace I leave with you, not the kind the world gives, but the kind that I can give you. And he says, and when that happens, do not let your hearts be so troubled. Don't be so afraid. So, and then when he talked about and the fact that the, the prince of this world is coming, he said, the prince of this, you know, I will not speak with you much longer. The prince of this world is coming. And... And then, you know, it's, he's going to come in the form of Judas Iscariot. He's going to come in the form of Roman soldiers. He's going to come in the form of, of religious leaders. And he will go to the cross. And But yet, you know, I love that next line, don't you? He has no hold on me. It looks like for three days that the prince of this world is going to win. And he said, but he has no hold on me. And when we have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living within us, I mean, we can say that too. The prince of this world has no hold on us unless we decide not to utilize what's inside of us and we just decide to let the self take over. Yeah, then you give the enemy, the prince of this world, full reign. But otherwise, no, greater is he that is in us. So we don't have an excuse. And so when he says, he has no hold on me, just remember, the prince of this world doesn't have a hold on you and I either. Because we've been given the power and the authority because we have a God living within us. And then he says, I'm come now, let us leave. And he and I, I envision, I envision them walking along when he's talking, and wherever they were, maybe they stopped and they sat down for a while when he's talking like this, and then maybe he, then he stood up and said, "Come on, you know, let's let's leave." You know, I, I kind of heard him say, um, uh, "We got we got work to do. We got a job to do." I mean, Jesus knew what he was walking into. He knew what his job was going to be. He knew what his father um, had asked him to do, and he was he was complying with every word his father asked him to say and every deed his father asked him to do. And and he pretty much says to those 11 too, you know, and we know Matthias will be coming in and it will be 12, but right now it's just the 11. And he's saying, you have work to do, you know. And what do they have to do? Oh, just take the gospel to the world. And so they're on their way. But maybe now they're, they're walking again. They're still walking. And, and Jesus then says, I am. I am the vine and my father is the gardener. Did anybody use word pictures as well as Jesus? I mean, he gave so many um, ways that you could picture for, to understand what he's trying to say. And he's saying, you know, my, my father is the gardener of this, of this whole garden, and I am the vine, and you are the branch. And then he says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Now again, you see the Trinity because he will cut off the branch. Jesus is the branch. No, Jesus is the vine. We are the branch. 
And and we can see here that um, if we're not bearing fruit, and if we are bearing fruit, then, of course, that's the Holy Spirit producing the fruit in us. So, again, all three persons doing, doing their, their so-called jobs. And so he says, I want you to picture this, that the Father is in charge of the, of the garden, and I am the vine in this garden, and you are the branch. And keep in mind here that if you're not bearing fruit, you will be cut off. Cut off. Now, the fruit that he's talking about, you know, it's so easy to read that. You know, he who does not bear fruit will be cut off, but then those who do bear fruit, he prunes as, so that it will be even more fruitful. So branches are going to be worked on. They're either going to be cut off because there's no fruit or you're going to produce fruit, but then don't kid yourself that it's just going to be hunky-dory and easy and no problems at all because you're going to get pruned because he wants us even more productive for him. He's constantly getting us to be more fruitful. So what, what fruit is he talking about here? The fruit of the Spirit. That's right. And it is something that Jesus doesn't use the, the plural when he talks about fruit. And Paul in Galatians 5 doesn't use the plural word. He doesn't say fruits. You must produce fruits. Paul doesn't say um, the fruits of the Spirit. Now, you can check me on this. I mean, even in John 15, I hope every time you see fruit, there's no S there. And in Galatians 5, when the nine are listed, no S there. Because, see, these are the nine characteristics of Jesus himself. And these are expected, this kind of character is expected to come from us. Again, it's not like the spiritual gifts that not every one of us has all of them. So then you see spiritual gifts, that has an S. Because every one of us, has a we have different gifts to be able to fulfill the job that he's called us to do. So we've all been given different gifts, and not any one of us has every gift. So I can understand why the S is used there. But when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, you cannot pick and choose. You can't say, well, I'm just full of love today, but I don't have any peace or patience. Or, I'm just so full of joy today, but, um, but I just, um, you know, I have no faith today. No, there's no such thing. And that's why Paul listed them in such perfect order. And even if you try to say, well, if I can list all nine, but if, even if I have them in different order, that's okay, right? No, it's not. Because these, this fruit of the Spirit, it starts with love. And the reason it starts with love is because, like we sang tonight, because he loved us first. He talks about what's the great command, what's the new command, that we love one another as he loved us. That's what we've been hearing. So, so love is first. That's the foundation. That's, that's the ground level. And every one of the eight then stem from that love. And the next one is joy. And when you start comprehending the love of Jesus, when you're starting to watch the Holy Spirit produce, because this love is so different than, than the, the world's definition of love. The kind of love that Jesus says to go out and love people with is the love that takes people the way they are. And then also then is willing to, to teach and to be able to stand up for the truth of God's word and the commands that he sets. So love is not that, you know, little superficial surface, um, warm, fuzzy, based on conditions kind of thing. No, the kind of love that the Spirit produces in us is that unconditional kind. And, and that is the ground level. But when you start comprehending that kind of love, then the joy comes. 
And we saw last week that when we are when we know Jesus and the more that we get to know him, we find that our joy is complete because he is joy. That it doesn't depend on happiness. Because life doesn't, I would say, 98% of the time, we're not totally happy. There's something always going. So joy is not based on happiness. And so when you can start, when you start watching the fruit of God's spirit, when you start seeing this, that's the change in you and I. When, when we can know joy instead of, even when we're not happy, we can still know that joy is Jesus and there isn't a circumstance, there isn't a crisis, there isn't a difficult person that can take that away from you and me. You know, that our salvation is secure. The cross worked. I mean, that's joy. And the Spirit wants to keep reminding you of that love, and then that leads to joy, and then that leads to peace, because we just, Jesus said, I want you to live in peace. I don't want you to live troubled. I want you to live in peace, because you know, I, I got this, and I've got you, and I'll be there. I want you to, I want you to live waking up every morning, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine today. And nothing changed during the night. I mean, that is peace. It is, it is what we heard last week about, I know that I, I've got a, a future. I've got a home that he's preparing for me. And that I will dwell with him and he will dwell with me. And then that Revelation 21, that's, that is secure. And that should make us live in peace, no matter what the news is the hand. And then, and then you find patience. You find that, that when you wait on the Lord, he will renew that strength. He will renew the strength you thought was zapped. But when you wait on him, when you don't jump the gun, you don't let self get ahead, when you just patiently wait on the Lord, you can mount up with wings as eagles. You can run and not be worried. You can walk and not even faint. We're learning to wait on the Lord. And look what he produces. Patience. Then after you find patience, you find that you... Oh, how kindness. You find when you have that love and the joy and the peace and the patience, you find that this fruit just keeps building on each other. And then you find kindness, which is washing someone's feet if need be. It's doing a job for his glory, even though no one recognizes it. When you're doing your service for him, and you need no accolades. Kindness is when you put yourself aside. Kindness to me is not just being nice, because anybody can be nice. Kindness, the spirit can produce um, kindness in you. That means self is in its proper place, and you are selfless instead of selfish. I'm telling you, only the spirit can produce that, because that's just not normal. And then kindness, all of a sudden you start realizing that God's got a whole different definition of good. So goodness, when the Spirit can produce goodness in you, and to know that goodness doesn't always mean, oh, everything is good, everything turned out good, everything turned out my way, good. No, sometimes, sometimes like in Psalm 107, he turned... When they, when the Israelites went astray, he turned the, he turned the waters and the rivers into deserts. Now that doesn't, that doesn't seem to be good, but you know what it did? It got their attention, and they cried out to him. So, again, the Spirit wants to remind you and I that God's got a different definition of good in our lives, because He knows what we need, and it might not look good in our book. But if it turns us more, if it makes us turn toward him more than ourself, then it is good. And the Spirit reminds us of that. And then goodness leads to faithfulness. And I'll tell you, this is such a beautiful fruit. 
coming out of us because it, there again, that faith is trust. You're trusting him instead of trusting the circumstances or trusting, you know, human nature, and that's not trustworthy. But remember last week when I read you in Revelation 21, Jesus said to John, write this down because these words are trustworthy and true. You know, and in, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, it says, pay attention to these things so that you don't drift, that you don't drift back. You pay attention to God's word. You pay attention to trust and faith in him, and you won't drift. But the Spirit is the one that helps us to trust Him, even when we don't like it or understand it or even know how it's going to end up. See how the Spirit can produce what we can't. And then faith then leads to gentleness. And gentleness is not just being nice and, again, and sweet and soft-spoken. Gentleness. And why is it number eight? Because we need seven to get us to gentleness. Gentleness is confidence in him. Gentleness is when you don't have to fight and debate and quarrel. You know who you are in Christ Jesus. It is such a, it is such a big, major step when you have let the Holy Spirit produce gentleness in you because the confidence comes you can hold your head to anybody and maybe before you used to always your worth was based on what people think or your success was based on world's definition of success but when you get to that fruit of gentleness I'll tell you you know who you are in Christ Jesus and that is a wonderful way to live but again, it's a fight against your human nature because we're still wanting to play those games of the world. We want to be somebody. We forget we already are. And then the last one is self-control. And why is that the ninth one? Because believe me, you need all eight for this one because boy, does, does self need to be controlled. And... So again, that's the kind, when, when self is controlled, that, mean, that means that the spirit is in control. When self has been controlled, the spirit then has the ability, or he has the opportunity then, because you have surrendered yourself to him. So this is the kind of fruit. And that's why when you start living these nine, because there's a cheap counterfeit to every one of these. There's a cheap counterfeit to every one of these fruit. Because this world, if you would ask anybody, if you would ask anybody, and you would say, do you know what love is? Of course everybody knows what love is. You would ask them what joy is. Well, you know that in their definition, happiness would be in it. And they would think about, you know, they think they would know what peace is. Oh, everybody all over the world would get along, you know. They don't know. There's a cheap counterfeit to everyone. But only when the Spirit of God lives within you. My, my question is, how, what has to happen before this beautiful fruit can come out of you? You've got to be connected to the vine. And how are you and I connected to the vine? It's through the cross of Christ. So... All right, and then he says, and then um, even if you are producing this fruit, um, he's going to prune. And, you know, like I, I've confessed to you so much in the last weeks, I am, so, I am so sure that the Lord was pruning me because I thought that I, he had a hold of my life. I thought, because I, I go to him for big things, but it was so many little things that I, I found a pile of one little thing after another. Then all of a sudden, you started feeling the troubled soul. So I learned something. I, could, I, could, I heard the Lord say, well, now I'm glad that all happened to you. I'm glad you had a month like none other. I'm glad you did. Because you learned something. And that's why he said, I'm glad I did not go to Lazarus at the time when I was called. Because now you are. You are going to believe more. 
see, he knows. Yeah, I'm glad when he says, "I'm glad this is happening to you." It's not that he's mean. It's because he knows what he what he's going to be able to do through it. And I know I'll never be the same. I am more conscientious now of the little things because I didn't. I never used to have to surrender those little things. Now I'm surrendering all day long because I'm realizing he wants it all. Because when I surrender to him, then I find self is not in the way and I can see more the reaction to these little things is more the fruit of the spirit instead of the fruit of me. I learned that. And I'm thankful that I learned. And he is trying... But the same with you, same with me. He's trying through the power of his spirit working in us. And I'm sure he's saying to you, like he said to me, not only am I glad, but, you know, you got to learn somehow. And thank goodness he loves us enough. You know, thank goodness he loves us enough to not just give up on us or... And thank goodness that he gave us his Holy Spirit who continues to teach us new things and also keep reminding me of what I need to be reminded of. So we need to be pruned. And then he says to them, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remember with the disciples, when you washed their feet, he said... When, when Peter said, oh, well then wash my wool, you know, wash my hands, and wash, wash my head, wash everything. And he said, no, you don't need a bath. You've already had a bath. So he's saying to them, you're already clean. You know, you've been to the cross. You've been covered with his blood. You've been washed with the blood of the lamb. You're clean. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. And then he says, remain in me. Now, again, another familiar passage, another familiar phrase. Remain in me and I will remain in you. But what in the world does that mean? What does it mean to remain in me and I will remain in you? For me, I just kind of said, stay put. Stay put in your relationship with me. Don't move off to that other other road and see how you stumble and see how when self is trying to do it instead of surrendering everything to me. Remain in me. I will remain in you. We will have a working system. That's what he's pretty much saying. Don't drift. Don't move off to the other road. And I know it's so easy to do. Because you're human. But I'm telling you, he's saying, if you remain in me and I remain in you, you're conscientious of making sure that you stay put in this book and you stay put in listening to the Spirit. We're going to have that relationship. It's, it's going to work. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. You know, you know that analogy as well as I do. And I, I have a, a gal on Thursday morning when she has a beautiful rose bush. She loves her roses. And, and every Thursday morning she brings me a rose. And it is such a sweet gesture. And it is beautiful. And it smells great. And I put it on my counter, and for a couple days, it is beautiful. And then, before I know it, then the blossom is bent over, and then petals start to drop, or they start turning black. And, I mean, I think we all have seen, as beautiful as cut flowers are, they don't last. And that's why you can't help but see what Jesus is saying. It's not going to last. I mean, you know, people that, that are playing the religious game, um, they, they can look good for a while, but you need that remain in me and I will remain in you kind of thing, or it's not going to last. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
You see, he's going he's gonna to keep repeating this. You know, he's going to keep. I want you to keep that in your mind. I am a vine, and you are brother branch. You remain in me. You stay hooked to me. We will have this relationship that works through the ups and the downs of life. Because you know, life takes us up and it takes us down. But our what what Jesus is saying here, I want no matter what's going on in your life, because you can't help the ups and the downs. But but when you're when you're when you remain in me and I remain in you, then your spiritual walk with me will stay steady through the ups and the downs. That your spiritual life isn't just based on how good you're how up you are with life. And that when life goes down, because it does, that your spiritual life takes a dive too. Because why didn't he and he should have and he could have? No, when you remain in him and he remains in, in you, that when, no matter what happens in life, you are constant. You are constantly steady in your, in your walk with him. So he repeats, I'm the vine, you are the branch. If a man remains in me and I in him. And did you notice the word if? If. I mean, another, it's up to you. But this could be yours. If a man remains in me and I in him, if that's your choice, he will bear much fruit. And you know what's so beautiful about that is sometimes you don't even realize it's happening. I'm going to tell you a little something that, that happened. That's why I'm not, I'm not boasting by any means. It surprised me. Surprised me like crazy because I um, see on Thursdays, I after Bible study in the morning, I go and do my mom's hair and then I get her groceries and go to the bank and do, do a lot of errands for her. And, uh, and this particular Thursday, I went and I got her all under the dryer, and she was just a pistol. She was just a pistol. I don't know how else to say it. And so I'm just trying my best to just let the fruit of the Spirit, you know. But I know that she had gotten to me. And I grabbed that grocery list, and I was out of there. She was under the dryer. I thought, okay, I'm to Meyer with that list and I'm pushing that card because she has gone to me. And out of the clear blue, I don't know what aisle I was in, but a lady, a lady I never met before, a lady just stopped my cart. She put her hand on my arm. She says, I just have to thank you for your, for your smile and your face today. She says, I am so, I was so down and discouraged today. And your countenance just lifted me up. <sighs> All I could say was, thank you, Holy Spirit, because it wasn't me. Because inside, I was just still kind of pushing that car, getting her groceries. And this lady saw the fruit of his spirit, not the fruit of me. So see, this is what he says. If you remain in me and I remain in you, sometimes when you don't even realize it, the Lord can be using you and using the fruit coming out of you because of the very spirit that lives within you. He can override you. It kind of woke me up. It, you know, it, it not only reminded me of this, but I went back and I endured her far better than I would have if I... So, oh, please don't ever, if you've ever seen my mom, don't tell her I said this. Uh, but, yeah, but I think you can understand. And my point is that don't underestimate what the Spirit can do, even though you might be going through something. That's why I always stress countenance, because His, his Spirit can work in our countenance, in our attitude, in our mood, in our demeanor. And I'm telling you, He really does do His best work when we're not even aware of it. And so when he says that if a man remains in me and I remain in him, he will bear much fruit. And then he says this, and I hope you've underlined this. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I know you've heard that before. 
But in the context of these chapters, in the context of Jesus' intensity of what he wants these men and us to go out into the world with, he is saying, apart from me, don't even think about trying to do it without me. You try doing you you produce the fruit itself. It it does not have the same effect. And it is the something fruit is coming out of you all the time. And it's either the fruit of his spirit or it's the fruit of you. And he says, just keep in mind that apart from me, you can't do a thing. If anyone does not remain in me, see, here's the other if. So if you choose to not remain in him, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, what do you think he's trying? What is he talking about here? When he talks about um, thrown in and burned, what's he talking about here? He's talking about hell, you bet. So, I really had to do some pondering on this because there's also a verse in the Revelation about when the letters to the churches, one of the, one of the churches, I forget which one it is, but if they don't repent, if they don't repent, he will blot their name from the book. That's what it says. It's a consequence of not repenting. See, now, I always thought that my name went in the book when I got saved. But then I started thinking, I looked at this verse, and then I looked at the verse in the Revelation, and I thought, well, of course. For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus to die for who? Us all. So, I would, I would dare, I would dare place my life on this statement because of who he is and how much he loves and how much it's not his will that any perish. I do believe that he starts all of us connected to the vine and he starts all of our names in the book. And then along the way, when we have the choice... Because once we hear, because this is what Paul says, Ephesians 1.13, when you hear the gospel, then you make your choice to whether you believe or not. And if you believe, then you are then gifted with his Holy Spirit. And according to this is that he cuts off the branch so that obviously then the branch has to start being connected first, right? It's got to be connected before he can cut it off. So on that last day, because it's so easy to see when he says such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned, he cuts off the branch. Or he blots the name out of the book. Because remember in Revelation 21 last week, I said, and I read you the end of that chapter where it says, anybody whose name is not written in the book will not be saved. But I think in Jesus, in the Father, Jesus, the Spirit, in their love for us, I think they, they include everybody. Everybody's hooked to the vine. Everybody's name's in the book. And then as you hear, you have a choice. And if you don't respond, and you can't say that in these last weeks, you haven't heard Jesus say to those Pharisees, whoever, whoever, it's up to you. Whatever, whoever you want to be. Be one of the whoever's that believes, or if you're one of the whoever's that, that doesn't believe, well then, obviously, you're bearing no fruit because there's no Holy Spirit because you haven't been to the cross. Whack. Blot. If you remain in me, 
and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. Okay? He repeats from his, his talk of last week. And I mean, it's probably just hours or a day before. But he repeats this. Last week we said that ask anything in my name. You know, you have to take, you have to take the whole verse. You can't put a period. And ask whatever you want and it will be done to you. No, ask in my name and it will be done to you. And we came to the conclusion that whenever you ask in Jesus' name, you are relinquishing your will to his. Now he puts it this way. If you remain in me and I remain in you, ask anything in mine. Ask and I will give. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given. So again, what is it? It is the remain in me and I will remain in you. And then together, because we're working together, because you want what I want, I want what you want, together, because I know what's best, you're trusting me with my best. There you go. Because, because you're working together as a team, because you are trusting him, because he is your God, he's living in you, and you're listening to him instead of yourself, you're not going to ask for anything that isn't his will. Because shame on us if we do. If we ask for anything but his will, something is wrong with that trust. If we think we got to tell him the way it should go, instead of relinquishing our will to his, something is wrong with our faith and our trust. Because he is God and we're not. He's got your plan. He's got my plan. He knows why we've been created. He knows our purpose. And we are here for him and not for ourselves. So when we do not relinquish ourselves to him because we think we know better. Look what he says here. This is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. See, with that character of Jesus coming out of you, it's just noticeable. And it will be identifiable People will know that we belong to him because it is not human nature. We're not working according to our own self. We're able to do what we can't do ourselves, and that's noticeable, and we become labeled as belonging to him. That should be, that should be what we want. That when people look at us, they identify us right away as belonging to him. Or they come up to us and say, why are you the way you are? I think I told you, I had that when I sang for Mad Life and these presidents came up to me and they said, why are you the way you are? This was after about six times working for them and how come you're, you're so different than every other entertainer we've had? And, you know, I just knew. I mean, they couldn't put their finger on it and tell. Although I said to them, I said, it's because of Jesus. It's Jesus in me. I dared say it. And they looked at me and they said, we had a feeling you were going to say something like that. See, that's why you don't know when people say to you, why are, how can you get through this? How can you, even though you might have tears or whatever, when they don't see you panicking and fearing, and they don't see you on the wrong road stumbling all over the place, they're watching the fruit of confidence, gentleness, of faith coming out of you. To be able to say to them, it's Jesus. To have that answer, because you know it isn't me, but it's him. What an opportunity. That's why Jesus said last week, remember when he said, and you know, you're going to experience greater things. 
because you're going to have greater opportunities. You're going to get to go greater places. Because remember, we said last week, Jesus was pretty much confined to that one area, and he's sending them out into the world. And so he's saying, the door's wide open for you. What an opportunity. And he's saying the same thing to us. Are we, are we using them? No. Are we using these opportunities? Are we allowing the spirit to produce this kind of fruit that is so noticeable? And then he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Do you see that love goes hand in hand with obedience? If you really love them, and not just saying it, because that's what church people are supposed to say, but if you really love him, he said, you're going to be obeying me. You're, you will be in this book because you want to know what he expects from you. Because it's the least you can do after what he's done for you. He's saying, if you really love me, you will obey me. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. They go hand in hand. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and I remain in his love. So again, what an example he showed. How many times didn't you hear him say, I've done everything my Father asked me to do. I've said everything he wanted me to say. No more, no less. He showed what real love for his father and his father's love for him. The two worked so close. He said the same thing with you. The same thing with you and me. If you remain in my love, you will obey my commands. And then he says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. He says, I want you, I want you to wake up every morning singing blessed assurance. I want you wake up, waking up every morning knowing that you don't know what's going to happen today, but you know your future is secure. I want you waking up every morning knowing that I'm, I will never leave you today. That God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit's not only with you, but in you. I want you living like that every day. That's joy. That's real joy. When you have an understanding of me, and you really want that even more, and you're working at it, and you desire that, he said, you're going to see your joy even grow. You're going to be more joy-filled. It's a beautiful word. And again, love goes to joy. He started with the love, remember? Remain in me, and I'll remain in you. You love me, you'll obey me, and then guess what happens? You will find joy. Your joy will be complete. There's nothing of this world that can satisfy you with that kind of joy. There's nothing of this world that can give you joy like that. That's what he's saying. Your joy is complete in me. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And then he says this, and this, I hope this rocked you a bit, because he said, you are my friend. You, me, you are my friends if you do what I command. And look what he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. And he's saying, I don't call you servant anymore because you do know the master's business. You know that the master's business, that God the Father loved you so much that he asked me, God the Son, to come in the form of flesh and blood so that the blood sacrifice could be offered and accepted, the only one accepted 
for your behalf. You know the master's business. You know what he sent me to do for you. you. You know that. So because you know the purpose and the business of the master, I call you friend. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. And again, I'm not going to get into, I just personally, after studying John, and I hope you do too, that we see that in and of ourselves, we would never come to a Savior. We would, on our own, we would never. And so God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit together, because all are included in the vine, all are included in the book. He chose us all. And then it's up to you to what, that's why he said, I chose you, I chose you, because on your own, you would have never been able to choose me. But through God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, this choice is available to you. But there comes responsibility. And that is along with your salvation, you bear fruit for me. Fruit that will last. See, the fruit that will last. And what's the only thing that we know will last? We know that only things done for Christ will last. Only the fruit of God's spirit in, in out of our life into others' lives, that kind of fruit and that kind of effectiveness lasts. And he says, I want you to, I want you producing this fruit that can't be be produced by human beings. It can only be produced by God himself working through you and then out of you. And then, and I don't say this lightly, but did you ever think that your countenance, your behavior could honestly affect someone's life for all eternity? It could be because of you that someone comes up and says, I don't get it. How can you, or how do you, or that look on your face. Did you ever think, and I don't think this is being overdramatic, because he says, I want you to produce fruit that will last. Out of you can, can come something that someone sees and because of the way you're connected to that vine in the fruit that's coming out of you, you can affect someone else's life for all eternity. And again, I don't think that's over, overstating it. Because he says, I want you bearing fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name, this is my command, love each other. But how many times didn't he repeat those two things? I want you to love one another. And I want you to know that when you remain in me and I remain in you, you will relinquish to my will. Ask whatever. I can't wait to give you my, my perfect will. I, can't, I want nothing less than you being in the center of my will. And then he moves into reality. In verse 18, he says to these men, and he says to you and I, this kind of life, with the outpouring of this fruit and all this kind of thing, he says, I'm just warning you. I want you prepared. And remember, we've talked about what a warning is. He warns us because he wants us prepared. He doesn't want us thrown off when it happens. 
Because we think with all of this fruit coming out of us, everybody's just going to love us and just jump on our bandwagon. And he said, oh, I better bring you back to reality here. If the world hates you, it's going to hurt. If the world hates you, when you're not accepted, when you're not included, when you're misunderstood, let's face it, I mean, you're living on a whole different kind of path. And you've got a whole different purpose and reason for living. And so if they don't have the same spirit of God working inside them, it's they've got the spirit of self, well, you're on two different paths. And unless they want to come along and join you, they're going to call you names. They're going to think you've jumped off the deep end. They're going to, I mean, it just happens. And he says, the only way, and this really does work, because, because I've had it so many times, but I have, I have come to the conclusion that this does work, because it's kind of like when Jesus said in Matthew 5, that when you're persecuted or insulted for my sake, you're in good company because so persecuted they the prophets. And another thing that helps me is when Jesus says, if they did it to me, they're going to do it to you. And somehow that takes the sting away because our human nature wants to be included and accepted we don't want to be considered odd. It's hard making choices and making stands. It'd be much easier to just not cause a fuss. But when we know right from wrong because of the book, because of the black and whiteness of this book and the instruction, and we dare stand up for it, it isn't always going to be popular. And so Jesus just said, I'm going to bring you to reality, and I want you to know sometimes it just worked great. But more than not, you're going to be misunderstood. But just keep in mind, when they hate you, they're really hating me. And that's really sad. If you belong to the world, so in other words, if you are just, you know, one of... And you, never, and you never accepted Jesus because you thought you were self-sufficient and you're still playing the religion game. Guess what? If you belong to the world, it would love you. Because you're, you're one of them. And I know that's what our human nature wants. But he's saying, no, as it is, you do not belong to this world anymore. But I've chosen you out of this world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecute you, they'll persecute. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. If, if they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Boy, he made, he made that clear. I mean, I hope that you thought about that verse when he said, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Sure, because guess what? They were lost and they were, they were going to be lost and they, they had no idea. Um, they thought that life was doing what I want, when I want, how I want. So no guilt because it's all about me. But Jesus said, see how many times didn't I tell them? Remember even that one time when Jesus cried out when they said, we don't know where he comes from. And Jesus looked right at him and cried out and said, you do too. You've studied Genesis through Malachi 
and you've heard the prophecies over and over, and you watched me fulfill them to the detail, you do too know. So what he's saying is, I told you. I told you, and so you are guilty. If you never heard, if you didn't know, but see, I go back to Romans 1, Romans 1 verse 20, because Paul says there's, there, a man is without excuse. There's not a man alive today that can say, no one ever told me. Because Paul says all they would have to do is look around. All they'd have to do is know that something in their conscience because we've been created to know him. And so Jesus lays it right out there. If I hadn't told him, if I didn't come to do what I am going to do, they wouldn't even know. But because you do know, you have a responsibility. If you said no, you pay the consequence. He who hates me, well, let me say, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written. And did you notice he said, in their law? In their law. Oh, it's, it's God's word, but it's their way of interpreting. It's, it's going into God's word and plugging your ears and closing your eyes to what you don't want to hear or see. And that is so relevant to today. People, there's so many people living out this West Michigan religion that really are biblically illiterate. And they can quote certain verses or they can not want to hear certain verses. That's why I say over and over, a verse-by-verse, line-by-line study, there's nothing like it. Because you can't help but see the flow of the words. Because there's so many that just want to pick a verse here. I don't want to read that one here. They read what they want. And so they're kind of writing their own Bible. They're writing what they want to hear and see. And Jesus says, but this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. If they would have read it all. There's, it's just so black and white, it's so understandable. But because they don't want to. And then he said, when the counselor comes, he comes back to this. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. I hope you noticed when you read that, there's the Trinity again. So he's saying, and when we go into Acts, you will see that in the very first chapter when Jesus ascends, he pretty much says to his, he says to his little gang there, now I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to stay in that room. I don't even want you to think about doing any ministry because there's going to be a little period of time before the Spirit comes. Because Jesus knows that we can't do it without him. Apart from him, we can do nothing. So he's reminding them again, I know I'm leaving, but be rest assured, I'm sending you myself in the form of the Holy Spirit, sent from my Father, 
And the Holy Spirit will testify about me because it's all about what I did. That's the gospel message. The gospel message is Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will remind you of that gospel message of who you are and what you have because of what I was willing to do. And that's why I said, and you also must testify for you have been with me from the beginning. You've been with me from the beginning. You've seen, you've heard, you know. But the same thing I think about us, we've been with him from, from the time that we've gone to the cross of Christ and we've been given his spirit. He's saying, remain in me, I'll remain in you. Together we can produce fruit that will last. That will that the gospel message will be shared, that people will hear, because how are they going to know unless they hear? And you can say that you can't, but you can, because I've given you everything it takes to do the job. So he's reassuring these men. He's taking away their fear and their doubt, and he's putting within them an excitement and a power and an authority, but he's doing the very same thing to you and I. We've got jobs to do. We heard from Jesus himself tonight under the power of his spirit. I'll tell you, we've got him made, and this is a great way to live. Heavenly Father, again, you're so black and white. You're so specific. Father, it is so reassuring to know that apart from you, we can't do it, but we have you. That's the best part. It's kind of like when the angels said, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. We all need a Savior, and we have one. Apart from you, we can't do a thing now in this life that you've given us after our salvation to follow the shepherd's voice, to dare pray in your name, to be able to love as you loved us. Father, you know we can't do it. That's why you said you've given us the spirit to give us the power and the authority to be able to produce this fruit that's so effective. Father, may by our lives people want to come along. And we will truly give you all the glory for using us. And it's all because of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.